Schwab Trading is now powered by Ameritrade to give you a new, elevated trading experience tailor-made for trader minds. Go deeper with Thinkorswim, the powerful, award-winning trading platforms now at Schwab. Unlock support from the Trade Desk, our team of passionate traders who live and breathe trading like you do. And sharpen your skills with an expanding library of online education crafted just for traders. All designed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Catherine Cowdery, and Bloomberg Taking Stock is brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSPDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETFs. Stocks extended this week's advance in light pre-holiday trading. The S&P 500 posted its biggest weekly gain since March. Banks, technology, and consumer discretionary shares led the way. Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen said in remarks at Harvard University that an improving economy would probably warrant another rate increase in the coming months. And that sent the dollar higher, weighing on commodity producers. We check the markets every 15 minutes. Dow Industrial Average rose 45 points a quarter percent to close out the week at 17,873. S&P 500 up nine points, four-tenths of a percent to 2,099. The Nasdaq gained 32 points, two-thirds of a percent to close at 49.33. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil up three cents a barrel to 49.51. Spot Gold down $9.10 a ounce to 12.13.60. The 10-year Treasury down 6.30 seconds with a yield of 1.85%. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. You're listening to Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. Hiroshima, a beautiful city in western Honshu, the largest island of Japan, of course, best known as the first city in history to be targeted by a nuclear weapon when the United States Army Air Force dropped an atomic bomb on the city at 8.15 a.m. August 6, 1945. Nearly 71 years later, President Barack Obama used the backdrop of the city's Memorial Peace Park to call for, call for a world without such weapons. He did not apologize for America's use of atomic weapons during the war, but he did express remorse for the human toll of that war. And of course, this is part of his trip to Japan to be part of the G7 Summit of Global Leaders. I'm very happy now to welcome to the show to talk about the significance of this visit, what was or wasn't accomplished at the G7 meeting. Scott Seaman, a senior analyst for Eurasia, for Asia, excuse me, at the Eurasia Group. Scott, welcome. Thank you. How significant is this to Japan, to the Japanese, and to relationships between the two countries? I think it's hugely significant. I, you know, I picked up on one thing in particular. There was a, an older Japanese uh, gentleman who I believe was uh, the leader of uh, one of the groups of survivors from the atomic bomb. And uh, I think the simple statement that he started with was that he never expected to see the U.S. president visit Hiroshima uh, in his lifetime. Uh, and there was there was no demand of an apology. And, of course, the U.S. made it clear that they were not prepared to offer one. 
but overall, I think this adds, uh, you know, some closure uh, to the war and, and certainly uh, shows how far the two countries have come since then. Scott, I'm wondering if you could speak to the issues facing the G7 leaders and what will Prime Minister Shinzo Abe be pushing? Well, for, for Abe, I think this, this was uh, an opportunity certainly for him to uh, talk about the global economy. He wanted to use this meeting as a way to tee up a decision that we think he's very likely to make and that's to uh, postpone a consumption tax hike that they've had planned for some time uh, that would be implemented next spring. Uh, he has not been keen on going ahead with that, and uh, one of the things that he wanted to accomplish at this summit uh, was to really highlight the theme that the global economy uh, is not doing well, and one of the things that Japan can do to contribute to efforts to uh, to, to kind of spur growth uh, is to hold off on its own uh, tax increase plans. So uh, in terms of geopolitics, that's one of the things that takes place when that's the G7, you know, when it's the heads of state meeting. You know, the finance ministers meet, the central bankers meet. They can hammer out more of the nuts and bolts on, on economic policies. Uh, if we were to go back 20 years ago or so, we would be hammering on the Japanese for their currency, right, for for keeping it too weak versus our dollar. That mantle kind of shifted to China with the, the U.S. focus. But uh, the, the one of the hot geopolitical issues is between China and Japan and the disputed territories. Did anything come out of this that moves that forward, that, that intensifies that struggle? I, I don't – well, th- there there are a couple of different disputes. Um, the the one that is is a bilateral dispute between China and Japan over the – Senkaku Islands in the East China Sea. That that has obviously been something that has really soured relations between the two countries for several years now. Uh, and I don't think that there was any particular effort uh, during this summit to to move ahead on on you know some sort of reconciliation there. I think it's just kind of a stable situation. Uh, but the bigger objective was really uh, for Abe and others to put a little more. Uh, emphasis on conflicts that are brewing in the South China Sea. Uh, and Japan doesn't have a direct uh, involvement in, in territorial disputes there, but certainly sees it as an area that needs to remain uh, stable uh, because it's just such an important area for, for trade and transport. Well, uh, Scott, in that context, I want to bring in uh, South Korea as well as China. Are they concerned that uh, the president's visit to Japan could be taken by the Japanese uh, as sort of drawing a line underneath their efforts to come to grips with their own wartime activities in places such as Korea and China? Um, you know, that definitely was a concern. And I think uh, as I read the speech today that the president gave uh, at Hiroshima, it seemed as if there was um, a great deal of thought put into trying to make uh, what he said as broad in terms of kind of the time that it covered as well as, as kind of the geographic space that it covered. Um, no, I mean, o- Obama did not want to uh, kind of feed into uh, the impression that people in uh, in other countries in Asia, especially China and South Korea, had that maybe this was going to be 
uh, an event that would identify Japan as as the victim of World War II rather than uh, than other countries. Uh, but I think the, the the what he said seemed to include uh, uh, people who were victims of of the war as a whole. So I think that they took great pains to make sure that they didn't single Japan out as a victim. Just real quick, will Abe get this this backing off of that consumption tax increase? Uh, yes. Um, so the, the the way I see it, uh, the the diet session ends uh, next Tuesday, June first. He's expected at a press conference following that to announce uh, a postponement of that tax hike, uh, and then it would just be a matter of getting his government to change legislation around that next fall. Thank you very much, uh, Scott Seaman. He is senior analyst for Asia for the Eurasia Group, joining us from Washington D.C., home to Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 HD2. Have a lovely Memorial Day weekend. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio. Coming up, Bloomberg Law brought to you by Celebrity Motor Car Company, the luxury of BMW, the performance of Maserati, the innovation of Lexus. Walk the red carpet. Get the status you deserve at the Celebrity Motor Car Company. Visit CelebrityMotorCar.com. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams-Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.